Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my Zach. You're Zach. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay, post-Thanksgiving episode, Happy. your favorite oh. Thanksgiving food that you ate. Oh, you're talking to me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> you're talking to me. Um, oh, this is hard. Um, I Well, I'm usually a green bean casserole lover, which I love that every year. But I kind of liked, my sister made this, the cauliflower. Yeah, it was the, that cauliflower salad that she made that was kind of good. It was like funeral potatoes, but with cauliflower instead of potatoes. Yeah, I kind of like that. Maybe it, ju- it was just because it was something different. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what my... Mine was, was uh, uh, well, I had two. One was your pecan pie that you made, oh, yes. which was out of this world. And then I tasted some smoked turkey. And I'm not usually a turkey person, but I tasted some smoked turkey from my dad, and it it blew my blew my mind. It changed your life. Happy so, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a great holiday. Um, and it's crazy that we're getting into the holiday season. And most of all, crazy that we actually are going to finish out a whole year, 50 episodes of our podcast. So thank you. We are grateful. We're thankful for you um, this holiday season, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> for those listening out there, for those who have been able to study along with us, for your kind words and encouragement. Every message that we have received has just meant so much. Um, It's just fun to kind of create this, what do you call it? I was going to say sisterhood, brotherhood, community community, um, with the scriptures. Nothing better, I think. So we're grateful for you and excited to dive in. This is episode 48. Uh, We're doing a two-part episode. So this is episode 48. Episode 49 will be Moroni chapters 1 through 9. Uh, however, this episode, we're going to study everything but chapter seven, and then next episode, we'll study chapter seven because it's that good. Um, and so this episode and next episode are somewhat linked, but we'll start with the study tip. For our study tip, we wanted to share some ideas, some thoughts on helping children to see who God is in the scriptures but also who he is in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read a, I was listening to a podcast with, um, there's a Christian company that makes beautiful Bibles and beautiful study guides and products called She Reads Truth. And she was asked, um, her name's Rachel Meyer. She's the founder of um, She Reads Truth. And she just said, um, I just loved what she said. She said, Um, that she teaches her kids, and I'm kind of quoting this, that we believe who God is based on the evidence of his hand in my own life, but I also believe who God is based on the evidence through history and through the antiquity of his faithfulness. That those two are so linked, that we want to show who God is in the broader spectrum of what he has done in the scriptures. That's why the stories are so beautiful, Um, and the stories are so important so that we can see how he works with his people on a greater scale and also some of those personal stories that we get from the scriptures. But also that um, that extra part that we can't forget is how we ourselves have seen who he is. And then translating that down to how our kids 
can see who who God is in their own lives and how they can feel him and understand them, how he works with them. I think if we're not careful sometimes when we teach children the gospel, we can teach them about everything but God. We can teach them about his commandments. We can teach them about his plan. We can teach them about his blessings. But we don't sometimes actually teach them about him, about who he is and what his character and what his nature is, both the father and the son. Uh, You've heard President Nelson mention this and emphasize that we don't teach the atonement, we teach the atonement of Jesus Christ. In a similar fashion, I think it's helpful to connect everything we teach our children back to the God who is the author of whatever it is we're teaching. So as a practical example, there is power in teaching your children a lesson on, say, prayer and how they can pray and how they can have better prayers. Uh, But we'd be remiss if we didn't spend some time in prayer talking about, learning about the God to whom we pray and what he's like. Um, And so we focus on our actions, which is important, but let's focus some on his actions. And so some of the ways to make this practical, as you're studying scriptures with your children, ask them the question occasionally, tell me what that verse or that principle or that story teaches you about Heavenly Father or about Jesus Christ, even if it's not overtly about them. You're studying the story of the missionaries in the Book of Mormon, Ammon and his brothers going to the Lamanites, and you could ask the question of, tell me what this teaches you about great missionary service, which is a great question. Ask it. But the second question you ask is, tell me what this teaches you about God. And you'll be surprised at some of the answers that can come when you ask that question. For example, we learn from that story that God is infinitely patient, that even though here's a Lamanite people that for hundreds of years have rejected him, at the instant that they turn to him, he's there and he blesses them and he supports them and sustains them. And what a powerful thing to learn about our God, especially as we contemplate our own relationship with him. And isn't that, I mean, when I think about my, the why of why I want to be a great missionary or why I want to do those things, it always for me comes back to that I believe in Father in Heaven. And I believe that Jesus Christ is there. And so I think it's so important just to help them paint, a, almost, we don't want to say paint a picture necessarily, but help them, yeah, help them envision who God is for them. You can even do it with their personal experiences. So that similar yeah. question in the scriptures, yep. you know, if you're asking your child or they're sharing a faith-promoting experience, this one time they, you know, they, they, prayed and they got an answer to their prayer to pause and say tell me what that teaches you about your heavenly father and again to connect this experience or this scripture or this doctrine or this principle back to the god i've heard the analogy once and maybe we've even shared it here that it's kind of like walking in to this incredible antique shop and seeing all of these gadgets and things sometimes we can get so focused on all of the unique and wonderful aspects of the gospel without actually looking up and seeing the store owner himself. Because as incredible as all of these antiques and these gadgets and these things are, the owner of the store, the creator of the antiques and the gadgets and the the author of all this beauty is even more incredible. So let's help our children lift their eyes up and see the God behind the law of tithing, see the God behind prayer, see the God behind the atonement, see the God behind the plan of salvation, and see that he's been there every step of their lives and will continue to be there every step for them going forward.
Amen. So. Amen to that. Okay. Last episode, I misspoke because I think I gave the idea that the last chapters that Garrett and I studied together might have been the most depressing chapters in the Book of Mormon. Well, that's not true. I think we found the most depressing chapter, and it's Moroni chapter 9. In this chapter, I don't even feel comfortable reading it onto our podcast because it's so graphic in how horrible the scene that Mormon, who's Mormon chapter, Moroni chapter 9, is Moroni putting in this letter. In fact, chapters 7, 8, and 9 is Moroni quoting letters or epistles from his father, Mormon. So Moroni chapter 9 is Mormon, the author. Um, and he's just describing how horrible his world has become. He talks about the Lamanites and their wickedness. And then right around in verse 8 or 9, he trans uh, he, he changes from talking about the Lamanites and their wickedness and, and how much worse the Nephites are, his people, and how horrible they've become. And he, he spends verse upon verse almost baffled. How could this have happened? How could a people that's been so blessed do this? He says this in verse 20, And now, my son, I dwell no longer upon this horrible scene. Behold, thou knowest the wickedness of this people. Thou knowest that they are without principle and past feeling, and their wickedness doth exceed that of the Lamanites. Moroni himself describes this at the beginning of the book of Moroni in chapter 1. And now I, Moroni, after having made an end of abridging the account of the people of Jared, I had supposed not to have written more, but I have not as yet perished. And I make not myself known to the Lamanites, lest they should destroy me. For behold, their wars are exceedingly fierce amongst themselves, and because of their hatred they put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. So Moroni himself is living in this world where any Nephite is put to death, and it looks for all the world like the end of everything hopeful and faithful and good in his life. Here's the verse that I love. Um, in chapter 9, Mormon tells his son Moroni, despite all of this, in verse 25, he tells him, we still have to be faithful. Despite the world looking the way that it does, we still have to be faithful. In fact, in verse 6, in chapter 9, he tells him, we still have to labor diligently to try and teach these horrible, wicked people, even though we know that they're really not going to repent. He says the same thing at the end of chapter 8. Pray for them, even though, son, our prayers aren't going to work. What a, what a depressing mission call. I need you to labor <laughs> diligently. I need you to pray for these people, and it's not going to work. But I need you to do it anyway. So here's the verse that I love in the book of Moroni. Verse 3. Well, verse 2, we ended. They put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. And then Moroni says this, And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Wherefore, I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of mine own life. What we want to talk about this episode is how do you do that? How do you do the hard thing, maybe even the hardest thing, in a world, in an environment, in a situation where it does not look at all possible like that effort is going to bear any kind of a fruit? Moroni provides an extreme example. I don't think you and I will ever be put in a situation where our efforts are without hope. But his were. This isn't going to work. Your preaching isn't going to work. Your prayers aren't going to work. The world is going to get worse, and you're not going to be able to stop it. And yet, I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. 
So how do you get to that point? And the way I phrase the question, this is uh, me getting a little bit nerdy, I guess, but in statistics, um, there is something called a regression equation. And a regression equation or regression formula is really simple. You have on one side of the equal sign a bunch of independent variables. And on the other side, a dependent variable. The dependent variable is the variable that changes. It's the one that you're measuring. It's the one that you're trying to affect or change in some way. The independent variables are the ones you're, you're measuring to see how they affect the dependent variable, right? Um, so a, a regression equation basically relates all of these different variables together. If I change this one by 10% and change that one by negative 20% and I add five to this one, what happens on the other side of the equation? How does that affect years of life lived or life satisfaction or whatever the dependent variable is? Well, what if Moroni chapter one verse three is the dependent variable? What if your ability to say, I will not deny the Christ is the dependent variable? It's the one that can change. It can go up and down, it can fluctuate. What we wanna look at is some independent variables, some things that we can know, that we can feel and that we can do that will help us be able to say, like Moroni, in difficult, hard situations, I will not deny the Christ. I will do what I need to do, even though it may not look like it's going to work. So first off, when we are wounded in any way, we are not beaten. And we got this, this thought from Elder Anderson's talk from last General Conference that I mean, first off, the title, I think, was the thing that, that drew me in after listening to it and enjoying the talk, but um, um, really feeling power as I reread it this last time and listened to it. Um, you'll remember he, he gives the premises of, begins his talk with Richard and Pam Norby. They were missionaries that um, were in the, the train station, right? Brussels, yeah. Yeah, in Brussels. Oh, in the airport. It was mm -hmm. at the airport. Um, when those those bombs went off and he was injured and he just tells the story of um, the interaction he's had with them of just their their faithfulness in spite of having all the reasons to ask, wait, we were missionaries. Wait, we were doing all these good things. Why, why us? But just their faithfulness that I was really inspired by hearing their story. Um, and he goes on to talk about some of the reasons um, that these things happen. That, you know, it's mortality and we're not immune just because of righteousness. And he says, we search for happiness. We long for peace. We hope for love. And the Lord showers us with an amazing abundance of blessings. But intermingled with joy and happiness, one thing is certain. There will be moments, hours, days, sometimes years, like mm -hmm. we're reading from Moroni here, or from Mormon, I guess, sometimes years when your soul will be wounded. And he just reminds us again that Jesus Christ is, is the healer, that if we turn to him, we can be wounded, but that doesn't mean that we need to be beaten. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, um, he says that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the incalculable gift of his atonement, not only saves us from death and offers us through repentance forgiveness for our sins, but he also stands ready to save us from the sorrows and pains of our wounded souls. And I guess I just loved, I guess I just loved that term wounded because 
I mean, I'm sure we've all felt that, whether physical or spiritual or emotional or whatever it is, we have all felt wounded in these in in some way or another. And and I couldn't help but think of other people that I've talked to or um, even some of my own own personal situations where I really felt felt this pain, right? This these wounds. And but to think of them and now that I'm on the other side of them just to think of them as those are really what have made me strong and to think of my wounds as something that has actually made me stronger. Hmm. So to relate this to Moroni, the fact that you're looking at a at a bleak situation or the, or that you're faced with difficulties isn't your fault. That Elder Anderson said this is mortality and the righteous aren't immune to wounds. In fact, you might even be more susceptible to some kinds of wounds because you're striving to live righteously. However, those wounds don't beat you. In fact, they make you stronger, especially if you allow the Savior to heal you. It's the wounded that get the, he mentions the Good Samaritans, the wounded that get the Good Samaritan that comes to them and heals them and binds up their wounds and makes them stronger than they were before. And so these wounds aren't a, aren't a bad thing. In fact, they might be the very thing that make us able to do the hard thing that we're thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. And especially when, we're, when we are focusing on being healed, like you said, by by Jesus Christ. I think he gives the example of President Nelson in there, and it's a great example. Uh, he's even got a picture in the enzyme here of President Nelson, a, a picture, a still shot of him in 95 talking after his daughter passed away. Of course, then his wife passed away. And yet here President Nelson now has this unique ability as prophet to speak to those that have lost spouses and lost children. And that wound has enabled him to be uh, of service and to do something really difficult, to help other people do a difficult thing. And so maybe that first point is those wounds are, you're looking at doing something hard, look back at your wounds, which wounds could help you do the difficult thing that you need to do. So even though we feel wounded, we feel broken, we feel torn apart, um, and there's a scale, of course, in all of that but um, that Jesus Christ can help us not feel beaten. We, he can heal us. Yeah. Um, the thought that I had is I was looking at these uh, chapters. Originally, we thought we were just going to skip the first six chapters of Moroni, and I had this little twinge that said, no, Moroni doesn't really write a whole lot. He writes a little bit at the end of Mormon. He writes a little bit in Ether. And then he writes these couple of chapters, and of course he pens Moroni chapter 10, which is gorgeous and incredible. Um, But I thought, there's something in these six chapters. Moroni has a little bit of time left to write, and he puts these in. This is his writing. There has to be something there. And if he's thinking about not denying the Christ and doing difficult things, what is it there that helps him to do that? And one of the things I caught, and this may be a bit of a stretch, Um, But as I was looking at the letters that his father had written him, one of the things that came out is is, uh, Mormon mentions that the Lamanites and the Nephites, this is chapter 9, verse 18, Mormon says, Oh, the depravity of my people, they are without order and without mercy. Well, in chapter 3, Moroni writes this, Um, the manner which the disciples, who were called the elders of the church, ordained priests and teachers. 
uh, the end of chapter 3, he uses that word ordained again and uses it in a couple of other places. And the thought came to me is um, Moroni is looking for something. He knows that his writings aren't going to affect the Nephites or the Lamanites in his day. So he's looking 1,400 years down the road when his words are going to be brought to light. And what he sees when he looks down the road is order. He sees a church that is ordered and ordained by God. Um, and I think that to him is incredibly motivating. That may be a bit of a stretch. I might be putting words in his mouth, but that's the sense I got. So a specific ordination or ordinance that he writes about in these chapters is the, is the sacrament in chapters 4 and chapter 5, where he writes the sacrament prayers. And so I paid really close attention this reading through to the sacrament prayers and what it is that we actually say amen to every single Sunday. And so you've heard it a thousand times, but I'm going to read it again. And just listen for the things that you are promising, the things you're amening on Sunday. Chapter 4, verse 3. O God, the Eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy Son, and witness unto thee, O God the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son, and always remember him, and keep his commandments which he hath given them, that they may always have his Spirit to be with them. The word that stood out to me is that we witness our willingness. We remember his willingness. We remember his broken body and we remember his shedding of blood. And then we witness our willingness. We look to the past and see Christ and we look to the future and see ourselves doing hard things. Taking the name of Christ upon us, obeying his commandments and being constantly accompanied by his spirit. Um, I couldn't stop myself that this image came into my head. And if you like the Lord of the Rings movies like I do, then you'll know what I'm talking about. There's this scene in the very first Lord of the Rings movie where they're debating about what to do with this ring that they found. And amidst all of this cacophony of voices and arguing of what's to be done with the ring, should we destroy it? No, we can't destroy it. Are we going to get rid of it? Are we going to hide it? Uh, one of the hobbits, Frodo, speaks up and says, I'll do it. I'll take the ring. I'll take it to Mordor. I'll throw it in the fires. I'll destroy it. I will do this hard thing. And there's this look on Gandalf's face as he turns around where you can just sense his relief that Frodo is willing to do something that really only he can do. Maybe that's a nerdy connection. But the thought I had or the image I had in my it's head is... nerdy if it's Lord if of the Rings. If it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the image I had is, that's what I'm doing on Sunday. I am I'm taking this bread and I am saying in one in the same breath I remember what the savior did for me his willingness on my behalf and because of that I am witnessing my willingness to do something hard this week I promised to do it in the premortal existence that's why I'm here that's why I'm sitting in this chapel right now cuz I chose to follow the savior and I chose to do difficult things and right now, I am choosing to do it again. In fact, every Sunday, I am choosing to witness my willingness to obey the Savior, to keep his commandments, to take his name upon me, which means following the path that he, he tread, which was fraught with difficulties and trials. 
I'm witnessing my willingness to do that. There's so much power too in that choice. I think when we when we say that we're choosing that. Mm-hmm. I also liked as we were kind of connecting the sacrament prayers to to this strength that we can gain. I really liked the just the thought, the simple thought of how covenants bring us strength hmm. and that that sacrament our sacramental covenant that we make each week is bringing us power too and helping us to muster the strength to say what Moroni said. It's tying us to the Savior, right? Covenants are promises. They're ties between us and the Savior. Yeah, that, I mean, when we want to talk about what he said, give me the, let me see the words again, I will, that I, I will not deny the Christ. And for me, I see those covenants, um, I mean, that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. They're there to help us, help us to stay strengthened. And I, I just think that you can't, you can't, not think of the covenants, which is so important, which is kind of cool that actually these sacrament prayers are there mm-hmm. in these chapters. Well, and speaking of covenants, I mean, he puts the ordination of, of, of priesthood assignments. He puts covenants associated with baptism. Uh, obviously, Moroni sees that same thing, the power that mm-hmm. comes in manifesting through these ordinances and covenants. I am willing to follow the Savior, whatever that may require. Well... If our first point was that the wounded are not beaten, they're healed and strengthened, the second point is that we chose this and we continue to choose to do and witness difficult things. The third point, um, I want to let we want to let just Elder Holland teach. Um, I, I put the title to this, but he'll explain it better than I will. Fight, but with love. You'll remember a couple of years ago, Elder Holland gave that incredible talk called The Cost and Blessing of Discipleship. You need to just listen to the whole talk. If you read Moroni 1 verse 3 and you love it like I do, you have to read The Cost and Blessing of Discipleship because it's as if Moroni and Elder Holland are looking at the same world and the same thing and saying saying the same thing. So we want to put in as a closing to this episode Elder Holland's words of encouragement, of counsel, and really of challenge to us to fight, to defend our faith, to do difficult things, but to do it with love, to not give up, and to remember how closely tied we are to the Savior. Friends, especially my young friends, take heart. Pure Christ-like love flowing from true righteousness can change the world. I testify that the true and living gospel of Jesus Christ is on the earth, and you are members of his true and living church trying to share that gospel. I bear witness of it, and I bear witness of the church with a particular witness of restored priesthood keys which unlock the power and efficacy of saving ordinances. I am more certain that those keys have been restored and those ordinances are once again available through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints than I am certain that I stand before you at this pulpit and you sit before me in this conference. Now be strong. Live the gospel. Faithfully, even if others around you don't live it at all, Defend your beliefs with courtesy and with compassion, but defend them. A long history of inspired voices 
including those you will hear in this conference and the voice you just heard in the person of President Thomas S. Monson, point you toward the path of Christian discipleship. It is a straight path, and it is a narrow path without a great deal of latitude at some points, but it can be thrillingly and successfully traveled with steadfastness in Christ, a perfect brightness of hope, and a love of God and of all men. In courageously pursuing such a course, you will forge unshakable faith. You will find safety against ill winds that blow, even shafts in the whirlwind. And you will feel the rock-like strength of our Redeemer, upon whom if you build your unflagging discipleship, you cannot fall. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. And there's not much more we can add to that, but we just want to say thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great week. If you feel the desire now that we're almost at the end of our podcast, go rate us on iTunes or on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you once again for for being here.